Hey there, you're listening to What the Riff? Join us as we remember the great rock and roll hits from a month between 1965 and 1995. We're going to riff on all things about the bands, the members, and the goings-on during that time. We hope to inspire you to find and download the songs you hear today, whether you're fans who forgot about some of these tracks or maybe never even heard them before. Check out our blog at whattheriff.com or follow us on Facebook at What the Riff. Here's a shout-out to our sponsors, Right Column Financial, offering CFO and bookkeeping services for small business, Stanton Electric, a commercial electrical specialist, and Marbury Creative Group, a brand development agency that helps companies tell it better. So let's turn up the volume and enjoy this episode of What the Riff? Laos falls to communist forces. Squeaky Fromm is sentenced to life for the attempted assassination of U.S. President Gerald Ford, and the U.S. Congress passes the Metric Conversion Act, which is why we're on Metric today. It is December 1975, (laughs) and this is What the Riff. I'm Bruce. I'm Wayne. I'm Rob. And I'm Brian. And I think we already know what we've got. Tell us about it, Wayne. Yes. This is my go-to album if I want to kind of get jacked up and just want to be excited. You wanted the best. You've got the best. The hottest band in the land, KISS. This is KISS Alive, people. If you don't know it, you are missing out. Now, this is a double album. It was a live album. They had, you know, four albums before that. Truthfully, just did not have the excitement as a live live album. Uh, the, The live album just... You know, it punched in a gut. It's interesting when you run into a band like that, and there are certain bands that are better studio bands than live, and there are other bands that just explode on stage. And you're right, this is one of those bands that's just, it's just amazing on stage. To that point, there are three live albums that I like better than I like the studio. This one, with Kiss Alive, and I like Kiss Alive too. Frampton comes alive. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, instead of his studio. And then Super Tramp. Live in Paris. I like that better than I did their studio stuff. Well, we'll move on to that. We'll talk about the song a little bit while we're, we're kind of here. Uh, this one's called Deuce. It's the first song off the, off the side A. So you got A, B, C, and D sides. I distinctly remember, obviously, this is the first one that comes out, and it is full tilt. It was written by bassist Gene Simmons. He's the one who sings it. And... Um, he, this was actually the first song that Ace Freely, who was the lead guitarist, that he played as an audition to uh, to, to both Paul and Paul Stanley and, and Gene Simmons to, to be part of the band. And oh. it turned out to be his favorite song to play. And you hear it. I mean, he's cranking out to the guitar on this. And if you, if you listen to this, it's basically about a guy, you know, it's Baby, you're feeling nice. You know, man, your man is working hard. He's worth a deuce. And no, we're not talking about stool samples, guys. <laughs> <laughs> He's worth it. But basically, oh, Gene Simmons says, lyrically, I don't know what the heck he's meaning. But, you know, it, maybe he's worth having sex with or something else. Or maybe, you know, you've been home all day. It's time, to, you know, I'm worth more than just, you know, getting, getting uh, just dinner. Let's, you know, double up this and have... Surely you jest. <laughs> but as I said, Gene Simmons, bassist and vocalist. Uh, you have Peter Chris, the drummer. 
Uh, you also had Ace Freely, who's the lead guitar. Paul Stanley, uh, another vocalist, also was the, um, the uh, rhythm guitarist of this. He did some little bit of lead on some of these, but mm-hmm. it was mainly Ace Freely. Yeah, listen to that, man. Now, is this off of the is this off of the first studio album? Oh, I don't. Re- you know, I never really watched, looked at the studio albums okay. at all. I, I mean, I just remember them. Remember which one they are. I want to say it probably was. It, it, it since it was the one that Ace Freely played on. Audition for, Audition yeah. That's for. what made, was making me thinking about it. Now, this song, sometimes you see somebody, um, some woman walking down the street, and you just went, damn, she's fine. Well, sometimes you just got to say, she is just hotter than hell. <laughs> and that's what this song is about. It's basically, uh, this is one that, that pretty sums it up. Uh, it, it, it was written by Paul Stanley, and he's just basically this woman that uh, he knew. And she was just, he was hitting on her big time. And finally, he, she just goes, look, I'm married. Sorry. You know, so he just, you know, this one of those times where he got rejected. Where, where, but it's basically trying to pick it up. This girl just going, man, you look real good. But, you know. Listen to the, the energy. And I think to the point of it, their, their live albums, I think a lot of people prefer. I mean, it's theater, you know, with the costumes and the movements and the fire and all, and they feed off of that. So why wouldn't it be more exciting to be there playing live than in the studio for them? I mean, they're made to be out out in front of everybody like that. You can tell. Speaking of the costumes, obviously, one time they were unmasked, but you remember the characters they were. What was Peter Criss? Uh, He was the cat, right? He was the cat, that's right. How about Ace Freely? Spaceman. Spaceman or Star Starman and everything. Paul Stanley. Did he have a heart? No, he had it was the star. Like a star. He had the star. He was Star Child is what star they called child. it and everything. Okay. And Gene Simmons was The Demon. The Demon. And he did what in part of theatrics? Oh, oh, oh the he spit blood. Spit blood and Hang, his tongue. The fire breathing. Fire breathing. He blew the fire breathing. My grandfather did that, and it's interesting to watch people, you know, who know how to do it. I mean, you talk about someone now who's in this, probably hitting close to seventy, you know, shooting, you know, doing this, you know, basically a circus trick, you know. Day after day, all that's these, pretty all cool. Yeah. It was like Rob said, though. A lot of their show was theatrics, and it was a pyromania stuff. And it was they, they were ahead of their time in a lot of ways. Yeah, but the thing that I always I, when I think back to this, I always think back saying, was I attracted more to the music or to the costumes and the theatrics that they presented? Of course, back in the day, I was ten years old or eleven years old when this came out, and I was. I'm like oh, you. it's cool. I, I want to be cool, so I'm gonna like kiss. I'm like you. I was drawing the logo. Oh yeah, all yeah, the time. How can you draw the, all the logo? Time. And the SS and the logo. Believe it or not, they were not allowed to use that logo in Germany because they thought it was right. representative of the SS. That. I do remember that. And yeah. so they had to do a different type of S when on all their music. Yeah. And I assume those albums are worth major bucks, you know. Yeah. But but they had to change that because it. And these are Jewish guys. I'm sorry. You know, it's not like they were Nazis. They were Jewish guys. You know, the the thing is, is they loved the, They knew how to market. And that was the Marketers. thing about this. And, yeah. 
everything was was I would say after this album they had what? What was what was what was the Kiss? Lunchboxes. Well, the Kiss Army. Oh, really? yeah. First off, they yeah. start yeah. off Kiss Army and they show T-shirts and, and stickers and everything else. Then you you're right. They went into lunchboxes. They went into uh, characters. They were on TV. They were doing their that roller coaster awful movie that they were in. It was. Oh it was, gosh. They tried everything. There is even yeah. a yeah. coffin you can yeah. buy. This is my favorite of this album. I mean, Deuce is great, and all the you know all the ones that. But this is my favorite because it truly is. You'll hear it here. This is Peter Chris on on uh, lead vocal here. But when the guitar kicks in, it just to Wayne's point. You got to put the pedal to the metal. This is Black Diamond. This is Paul Stanley. That is right. Yep. But Peter Chris is going to pick up the lead vocal here. Yep. And you can hear you can hear Chris bring him in on the sticks, you know, doing the count. I love it. Hit oh, it. Yeah. Here he comes. Hit it. Ah. Yes. I got chills. I got chills. What I love about this song is this this usually usually when I saw them back in back in 80, this is how they ended the song. And you'll hear the end, the pyrotechnics, the explosions, everything going all over the place. Now I've seen them several times since then, and I, I don't know if you've not seen it. This is a show. You do get your money's worth. Yeah, they're charging you 150 bucks for the worst seat in the house, but it is a blast. They're, everything's going on. They're, they're, yeah. It is a show. One thing I want to say that, remember, they were sort of the tail end of what type of movement, if you remember what they called it. Glam rock. Glam rock, that's right. And so, you know, they, you had that, you know, David Bowie, T-Rex, you know, they were they were dressing up and putting makeup on and everything They were else. wearing makeup the way the girls would wear the makeup. Right? Yeah. Kiss changed that. Yeah, well, they're from New York. Well, the, the, group, <laughs> the group was originated in New York, so they basically just went ahead and just, you know, were involved in that and says, well, we're going to take it one step further. Yeah. One of the things that, and that's one of the themes of, of Kiss, I think, is just taking it further. You know, you... You talked about the marketing, and they were truly overexposed. I mean, they oh, just yeah. went all out. The one that I remember is uh, the comic book. Do you remember the deal with the comic book? Yeah. The, the marketing of the comic book was, was right, great. Right, right. Because all the red ink was what? It was Gene Simmons' blood. Yeah, or what it, the members, they contributed their blood to the ink. That's it. What's the, what was that? And so they printed out this comic book that was sent out. And I, I want to say it was 78, 79, right around in there. Yeah. I don't even remember the comic book. I just remember the uproar. Oh, my goodness. These guys are just, this was this was evil. They're the knights in Satan's service, if you remember that. Right. Yeah, right. we had several preachers tell me that. And I'm like, wait a minute. I've heard an interview, and that's not true. Right. By the name. They're not. Well, yeah. the. The, the whole thing with that, I mean, it's it's all hype, right? Yeah. Because when it, the 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 blood thing, there's this big vat of ink, right? And each one of them got you know a couple of drops in there so that they could say, you know, yeah. it's made out of our blood. It's it's PMS 458 red, but they, <laughs> you know they just went ahead and added a little bit of blood to it. So. But getting back to the, the Knights and Satan service, there was, I had two, one preacher in particular called the youth together on a revival at a church I was attending and 
He said, do you know what KISS, you know, rock music's bad, blah, blah. He goes, you know what KISS stands for? And I knew it was coming. And he said, it stands for Nights and Satan Service. He says, um, I don't think so. I, I heard an interview with Paul Stanley. He says basically he saw an ad on a billboard in New York City with two lips up there. And basically was selling KISS perfume or something. And he, he looked at me like, how dare you challenge me? Wow. And I went, and, all right, that's it. And that's, that's probably one of the last times I ever gave credence to a... A pastor that probably you know, would have knocked rock and roll. So, <laughs> of course, during this time of this song, Ace Frehley's guitar is doing what? It was smoking. Oh, there's, yeah. this, there's a smoke grenade inside his guitar. It was a little hollowed out and everything. And of course, now every time the big crash, yeah. there's explosions going off, yeah. fireballs, everything else. That's that's what's there's so so much pyrotechnics in this. It is is unbelievable. A uh, friend of the show, Steve Harden, went to see them live last year and just said it was phenomenal. He was talking about it for days. And he took his wife, Sherry, and she's like, okay, yeah, I guess I'll go see Kiss with you. And she was just like, oh, my gosh, it was amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they loved it. But, you know, the, the, one more thing about Kiss uh, with the, 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 the image they were doing. I love the interview with Gene Simmons. He says, what, what, what made this thing get going? He goes, well, we were just four New York Jews who wanted to meet girls and play rock and roll. I mean, that's all they wanted to do. <laughs> that's it. Well, the, if you wanted to know about what Black Diamond's song was, it was basically it was about street hookers. And uh, Paul, was, who wrote it, said that in the 70s, the queen of them all was the Black Diamond. And basically the song was a takeoff of Brown Sugar. Uh, and so, ah. you know, so then he's also said that that the Black Diamond is because of the way um, the, the night sky is in New York City, because of the way it's lighted up, they look like diamonds. So now we're going to go to the last song, and we are not doing rock and roll all night and party every day. Because if you haven't heard that song, you are in a cave or something. <laughs> but in other is, words, this is a deeper cut. Uh, if there's a deep cut on this, I don't know. I, deeper than rock and roll all night. This does not get played at all, I guess. But this is Let Me Go Rock and Roll. But to me, this ends that. This is the last song on side D. And, but to me, it just rolls. It just, it's just fun. And you got, the, you got the hand clapping and everything else. So let's go one more time. Let's just go. You know, for those of us that are Rush fans, you know that one of the ways that Rush got their start was opening for Kiss. And it's just interesting to juxtapose the bands on top of each other because Kiss is this, you know, bombastic type of a oh, thing. Big time. And Rush is more cerebral and stuff. The lyrics for Rush, you've got to think about it. You know, you don't think about Kiss lyrics at all. I wonder you know? what he means by Beth, I hate his <laughs> What do I mean by I want to rock and roll all night? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I remember an interview with uh, the, the Rush team or the Rush band, and, and uh, they were talking about, here's Kiss. They're partying. They're throwing TVs out windows. They've got girls galore. And here's Rush. We're going to bed. <laughs> we don't know. We're not, we don't have a clue. They're in their the hotel room doing. reading books. <laughs> yeah. I heard Gene Simmons talking about yeah, that. Yeah, and he said, who are these guys? And basically, <laughs> they're all looking. What, what, and they, they didn't have a clue what the, all that, the rock and roll scene was about. Well, the interesting thing about Gene Simmons, no drugs, no smoking, no drinking. He just he just wanted the sex part of rock and roll. Now, and that was it. 
how long were the four of them together? Uh, I'm through, I want to say 82 is about when they started breaking up. Yeah. Um, uh, basically, Ace Freely and, and Peter Chris started really getting heavily in drugs and, and stuff, and they just basically felt it was time to kind of break away. I think it was after the Mask album. It might have been 81, but it was, it was early on. Now, they did have a reunion tour yeah. uh, that was probably about 20 years ago. 96. Yeah. Okay. So well, they came back in eighties in uh, the, the mid-80s without the makeup. That's yeah, when they right. did the exactly. lick it but up that, and that all was that. When, that was when they had, you know, without Peter Chris and, and Ace oh, Freely. Gotcha. Okay. So, so that was the Unmask, and they had a couple albums then. They, some of the songs were all right. I mean, Kiss has not been known to write the greatest songs ever. They're not going to be known as the Bob Dylan of rock they, and roll. You know? <laughs> they don't write the songs to make the whole world sing? <laughs> well, no. they did sing to them. But it was, <laughs> but like we said, this was, it was more of an attitude. And this was the attitude. As we were growing up, we had angst. And to kind of fight against people, here's this group that the parents didn't like, no one liked. Yeah. And, you know, they kind of spoke a big, to you. That was a big selling proposition. Yeah, for because them, Satan wasn't it? sells. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, here's, here's the other, if you guys recall this, Kiss got blasted. Remember the song "I Was Made for Loving You"? Oh, that the was disco the disco song? version. Yeah. Yeah. They got so much flack for that. They still play it. They played it in concert, though. I was at the same concert uh, we were talking about yeah. earlier. They actually played that. It was. It, it was, was pretty ballsy like, for them to release yeah. it. But they, of course, it's marketing. It's making yeah. money. Oh, yeah, they're looking around. Goes, of course, it was the tail end of disco. Right. That's what people didn't realize. It was like, okay, it's 1978, and disco's pretty much over with. Yeah. In, in terms of the band members, I want to give a quick shout-out to our friends at the um, Eric Von Hessler Doctrine. Tim Andrews does an amazing impression, impersonation of Paul Stanley. Oh, yeah, he does. Yeah. If you've ever heard that, Tim Andrews, just it's hilarious. <laughs> they have Paul Stanley come and talk on the show from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I don't want to. I got to say this before it all ends. Was my favorite pinball machine because back in the '70s you played pinball. It was the Kiss pinball machine. It was one of the first digital ones that came out. And we talk about you know you're in recession or whatever else. We had a a oil embargo in '78, and our um, Quick Trip or whatever you want to call it had a had a pinball machine. We were so good at it. The maximum number of uh, wins you can have up on the board was 15. So for a whole weekend, we had 15 up there as the number of kids that would just come in and out. We just play it constantly. We never played on one quarter for three days. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> there was one guy that stayed the night there playing. It was like, holy crap. We they get there in the morning going, what the heck? So they had a Kiss pinball machine and they had a Kiss coffin. They had, right. I mean, they they were, um, they're geniuses of marketing. Get the album, people. This will jack you up, and this this will rock and roll your hineys off. You got Cold Gin. I mean, come on, Firehouse. There was tons of other songs on here we didn't get to. Nothing to lose. Watching you. There's a drum solo on this. Yeah. <laughs> Hundred thousand years. You remember the drum solo? Oh on yeah, that? yeah. There, there's tons of things. Man, all right. Well, that's great. Well, now we're going to flip over to our uh, entertainment track brought to us by Right Column Financial. This is Sky High. And this was a top five hit, believe it or not. But it came from a movie, and that's the reason why it was was from The Man from Hong Kong. Oh. Which was uh, uh, a, a movie, obviously a 
karate movie coming out of there, but this song actually reached as high as number three. And I, it was going to be one of my staff picks. <laughs> I just wow. was going to throw it out there. But uh, it was it's Sky High by the pop group Jigsaw. And um, I thought it, this is, you can kind of hear the kind of disco. Yeah, it's got, you know, yeah, it's got that disco funky feel. The wop pop stuff. I yeah. was oh, wow, you're really imaginative on the drums on this. For those of you who signed, who uh, downloaded this episode to hear Kiss, we apologize. Hang on for a few more minutes. Yeah. <laughs> we got some more rock and roll coming up. But supposedly, I was reading up on Jigsaw. They said they were uh, for WikiLeaks. Uh, early on stage, um, Jigsaw was a wild rock band who had high-energy live show. Drum kits were set on fire. Explosions were set off as an effect. And they said this guy, one of the performers, did fire eating, and one of the guys would make his Marshall stacks explode. And I'm going, While they were singing exactly, this? Well, obviously, <laughs> they, they toned it down. This was like in the early. So I wonder if Kiss kind of saw them in concert. And, or oh, something. we're inspired by or them. Saw or saw the who on the Smothers Brothers. Can you see somebody breathing fire right now? (laughs) (laughs) Well, some of the other top hits of uh, December 1975, Let's Do It Again by the Staple Singers. Yep. That's the way I like it. Uh huh. Uh-huh. 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 Yeah. AC and the Sunshine Band, and he a couple of years ago he came through and sold out. Yeah. Almost immediately. Yeah. Sugar it was, the Sugar uh, Sugar Hill Bowl. Yeah. S A T U R D A Y Night. The Bay City Rollers. I almost did that just to spite with. I know if you'd done out of I'd have thrown had a mic drop. That was the Bay City Rollers. How about Love Roller Coaster by the Ohio Players? Ohio Players. Gotta like that. That was a fun one. Yes. There were probably, what, five uh, cop shows on, on TV in 1975? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the, the variety show was kind of in its heyday. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you had Donnie and Marie Osmond, the captain and Neil. I, I remember seeing um, the Bay City Rollers on um, golly, uh, Howard Cosell's uh, a, a, a TV show called Saturday Night. And I got it confused with Saturday Night Live. <laughs> so that was interesting. All right. All so right. we've gone through, and I think I talked enough. Now we're going to move to, I don't know, who's got the next one? Oh, I think it's going to Bruce. And I thought we did this one. We did, not, we did do the album. We have not done this song. So ah. this is off the Pink Floyd album, Wish You Were Here. And it's the first... Uh, it's the first song on side two of the LP, and it's only the third track on the album, which is a little strange. Why would that be, do you suppose? Oh, there's something about shine on your crazy diamond having 27 <laughs> parts or something like that. <laughs> something like that. So shine on your crazy diamonds part one through, I believe it's, is it one through five? One through four, one through five is the first track. And uh, Welcome to the Machine is the second track, and that covers the entire first uh, first side of the album. And then you get into this one uh, as the opening for the uh, for the, the second side. I love these lyrics. This yeah. is why I picked this, is because of the lyrics. And Bruce, I have a question. Yes, sir. Who is the lead singer? Is it David Gilmour or Roger Waters? Oh, you, yeah, you, yeah, I already know this, so we're going to have to put this out to Rob and Wayne. What do you think? Who's singing this? Neither one. Oh, you, well done. 
Well done. Is it Peter Chris? <laughs> it is not. <laughs> Good guess. <laughs> Listen to these lyrics. Oh, by the way, which one's pink? Yeah. So this is one of those songs that I just quote all the time. Yeah, going back to it. Now, do you know who wrote it? Roger Waters. Roger Rod. Yes, Roger Waters wrote it, and it's obviously it's a critique of the mu- music industry. It's a critique of his own ra- uh, record label. Um, Pink Floyd is a big deal at this point. So Dark Side of the Moon hit in '72, and it just put them into the stratosphere. And um, so, so Roger Waters felt like they were you know, the record executives were kind of taking advantage of the band and trying to push them for. You know the next hit and things like that. So, How did he get it past them and onto the album? Well, he—I mean, basically at this point, they can do whatever they want. Yeah, to, right. So, uh, so yeah, that was a, the as far as who wrote who uh, singing the song. Well, Dark Side of the Moon was still on the charts. You got to remember that. Oh, so man. yeah, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're still making money off these guys. Are going, come on, bring it on. You're gonna Have you you're seen gonna, the chart. Here, 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 <laughs> come a, on. Write a song about whatever you want. Exactly. Come on. <laughs> If we all pull together as a team. If we all pull together as a team. Well done. So the singer is Roy Harper on vocals. He's an English folk singer. Um, Roger Waters was supposed to sing it, but he he was having a hard time after uh, laying down the tracks for Shine On You Crazy Diamond. They had been interrupted in tours and things like that, and, and it just wasn't coming out right. And then supposedly David, I've heard two different things. David Gilmore also tried it, and they even tried a duet between Gilmore and Waters, and none of that was working out. But I've also heard that David Gilmore didn't want to sing it because he didn't feel the same way about the record industry as uh, Roger Waters did. So for whatever reason, Roy Harper was in the studio, and uh, Gilmore had been a guitarist on Harper's album. So... uh, they, they brought in Harper to sing the part. But it's amazing because he's, he has a very Pink Floyd-esque sound. Definitely. It, I mean, just that guitar is such a trademark. Oh, yeah. Listen to that. Well, a lot of that, too, Bruce, as we discussed when we featured the album, this album, the production of it, there was a lot of lag time, a lot of sitting around doing nothing, and, of course... This is the beginning of the end because they fought all the time, and this is one where Gilmore actually won the argument and had Harper sing it as opposed to Roger Waters who wanted to sing it. Okay. So there was some some tension some even tension and fighting on that one. It's interesting. Yeah. There was exactly a minute of just music at the beginning, mm-hmm. and there's a minute of just music at the end. Right. And I, mean, it's in- I like the way this thing ends, yeah, too. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It goes into mono. Yeah, yeah. It switches it switches to a sound it's almost like a transistor radio, right? And then uh, and then it continues with a very tinny sound. There it goes. What a great sound. And then the very end it sounds like somebody's changing the dial on an old radio. Yeah. Cool. So that's it. Outstanding. I'm, I'm bringing the next one, and it's got a really cool sound effect at the beginning as well that I, I appreciated. <sighs> we jammed on this song. Gary oh. Newman, Cars. Oh, sorry, that's a little bit later. <laughs> now, this song is rocking in a very different way from the way the band looks. 
This is Sweet with Fox on the Run. Don't want to know your name. This was off their album Desolation Boulevard. And this was actually the second recording. This was recorded initially in 1974. We're covering December of 75. And this was recorded and produced by Mike Chapman and Nikki Chen. And they put it out on a European release. And then the band realized we need to rewrite, we need to, you know, reconfigure this for the U.S. so it's more poppy. So they did that. What's funny about this song is, is you know, you may think you got a pretty face, but the rest of you are out of place. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, it, it is not really PC at all. If you watch the video, yeah, they're and they all look like a bunch of women up there singing. It's kind of funny. My son was watching. He goes, are those all men? I said, yeah. Well, sweet. They had, they had, you know, tons of songs. I Speaking mean, of glam on. rock. Yeah, yeah, glam rock, yeah. Now, I'll tell you something. Uh, my son's familiar with this, too, because it was on Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. And believe it or not, it became the number one pick on iTunes in 2016. Oh, oh wow, that's cool. Because of Guardians on the Galaxy. Well, it's a great song. I mean, I remember, I, I remember distinctly. We were AM radio, and it came on, and my sister and I, you know, made my dad turn it up, and because we wanted to hear this because it's such a great song. It, it's funny to me. Can you think of another song it sounds a little bit like? When I say it, it's it's by ELO. Oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah. Um, oh shoot. Yeah. Do ya? Can't I can't hear the. Yeah. It's do ya? Do you, do you want yeah. my love? Uh, do you, do you yeah. want my love? If you play yeah. these two songs next to each other, you'll be like, holy cow, that's the same song. Are you yeah. insinuating plagiarism there, No, Mr. no, no, just inspiration. Inspiration, oh, inspiration yes. They, yeah. they, uh, they still uh, borrowed the... Uh, so, going back to uh, Kiss, this was in many movies other than Guardians of the Galaxy. It was also in Detroit Rock City. And uh, it was in Dazed and Confused. Mm-hmm. And then it had been covered many times, including a cover by Ace Frehley. Oh, oh, interesting. Yeah. Going back to Kiss. All roads leak li- to Kiss on this, uh, what the riff. <laughs> well, Detroit Rock City, yeah. That's that's uh, another yeah. album we'll probably have to focus on. Um, the Scorpions, the German band, the Scorpions, yep, yep. they had an alias band called the Hunters. And they actually did this song, and I hope I get this right. It was called Fuchs Gewaren. And it was all in German, and it was literally about a fox being chased by hunters. <laughs> and so if you look it up, it's F-U-C-H-S-G-E-V-O-R-A-N. So check that out. That's kind of an interesting thing to hear a bunch of Germans singing this song. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. But, yeah, fun, fun trip back to December 75 for me on this one. Good pick. Good all pick. Right. That's oh, good high energy. Now we're going to Brian. Speaking of high energy. Yeah. Yes. And speaking of New York, <laughs> we're going to start slow here, guys. <sighs> it's worth it, though. Do you recognize the tune yet? This is Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, listen to that. I thought they were broke up by then. They were. This is the interesting thing. They broke up in 1970. My little town. And so they were, it's interesting because Art Garfunkel had gone back, he was actually a teacher at this time, and when they, before he started, collab, you know, they started working on their solo albums. They were both working on it, ironically, at the same time. Paul Simon's working on Still Crazy After All These Years. We know the title track, and we know some right. of the other stuff that came off of that album. Ironically, he wrote, Paul Simon wrote this song for Art Garfunkel. Hmm. Oh. 
So he brings it to the studio where Art Garfunkel's working on his solo album. And he goes, I wrote this for you, Artie. I guess he called him Artie. He says, take a listen. Says, You're writing a lot of sweet songs for your album. This one's a little harsh. Hmm. So if you listen to the lyrics, it's it's about... Oh, yeah, that's true. You know, nothing but the dead and dying in my little town. And Garfunkel grasped it. You know, he completely embraced it because he was not happy in his little town. Hmm. He was an art... You know, his, mate, his minor, I think, was something in art history or something and then he went to later on he went to get his masters in math so as he was collaborating he was i think he was teaching school and he was also tutoring math mm-hmm. so he embraced this thing is you know what what i'm what it, i've done is really not embrace it because it's a blue collar town it's a more kind of a kick butt Drink beer on Friday nights and right. go go Crusty. shoot the pool hall. Yes, it's it's a blue collar town. So now you're starting to see the, the 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 tempo starting to pick up and it's starting to get a little bit more intense. And here it goes. So the interesting thing about this song as well, guys, is these guys were working in the studio, and Paul Simon hosted the third ever, the third ever uh, Saturday Night Live in 1975. Oh yeah, I remember that. So one of the, they did three songs. Mm-hmm. This was one of them. So the buzz was all around that, you know, number one, they're going to get back together, which they, nobody expected them to do that. Right. They had, a, I don't know how nasty it was in 1970, but it wasn't, it wasn't easy. Right. So they got back and then the buzz was all over that Simon and Garfunkel could perform. And sure enough, they did. So that's, that's that was a very uh, highly viewed Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily because of the uh, not ready for primetime players that we all are familiar with, but because of these guys. Yeah. Okay. Wouldn't it be yeah. cool to have a rock star teaching math? Yeah, that would be. That would be. Now, now I've got a question though. You said that Paul Simon wrote this yes. for Art Gar- Garfunkel, but it it appeared on Simon's album. Didn't it appeared it? on both of their albums. Oh, got it. Okay. And then it compared it, uh, the both of them, and they both gave each other credit for it being a duo. Okay. And then the, on their collaborative work that they did as far as greatest hits and things down the road, then it was included on that as okay. well. But it's just an interesting dynamic here of how they're not together. One writes another a song for the other. Yeah. Say, you know what? It would be good to do this together. It's just weird how it all twisted and turned. Interesting. Well, that kind of progresses into a, an intense song at the end. I thought I was having a problem because Wayne's track is just flat. I'm looking at the <laughs> screen here. I'm like, oh, my gosh, we're not hearing Wayne. We're not picking him up. <laughs> well. Never mind. He hadn't said anything. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed that. Thank well, you, Brian. I had to rest, man. I, 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 I went full tilt there. Okay, and yeah. Of course, now I'm to my pick. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Does anybody have a, a, a can of snuff? I'd like to have a dip right now. All right, yes. We're going to country rock or Touché. southern rock or something like that. Uh, I got my fall stamp right here, These guys are still touring. They were here just recently in, in Metro Atlanta and sold out a concert. This is the Marshall Tucker Band. I do like them. Are Those they are from Atlanta? Pictures. Were they from? No. Atlanta? No, they're from they're from uh, Carolinas. Oh. Uh, Spartanburg, South Carolina, actually. Uh, This is called Fire on the Mountain. And it was written by a band member in the hopes that one of their friends named Charlie Daniels would record it. Oh, CDB. Yeah, so Charlie decided he didn't want to use it. So Marshall Tucker Dan did it, and it became one of their top 40 hits. I could see him, Charlie Daniels, singing this easily. 
This is still my, my, my favorite song of theirs. What's your favorite song of theirs? Heard It In A Love Song. Heard It In A Love Can't Song. Be That's wrong. a great song. That's another one of those. That is truly Southern rock. There. And I, re- I really like Can't You See. Yes. You know, that, once again, they, I mean, this is one of those kind of, you know, that this is more of a storytelling song. And that was kind of what was going on a lot of these. Can't You See is another one. Heard It In A Love yeah. Song. I mean, that's, that's sort of how these were written. This song's written about a gold, the California gold rush and how a family moves from from Carolina to California and basically want to go out there and, and try to hit it rich. And what's interesting is is you can kind of almost place this anywhere, but do you guys know where the first gold rush was in the United States? I believe I do. Where I was it? that would be Lumpkin County, Georgia, wouldn't it? That's right, Dahlonega, Georgia. I've actually been to the gold mines there. You got a tour, and I didn't know how they actually – Mine that, the gold there. that may have been the straw that broke the camel's back too on the Trail of Tears because at the time it was Cherokee territory. Right, that's mm. correct. Mm. And they found gold, and next thing you know, uh, people were just mining it. And I didn't know how they mined it. Basically, they found quartz veins that had gold in it, and they would chop it all out and put it in stampers and stamp out the gold and separate it with mercury. And so they would pour all the crap back into the water. So you Including got mercury. mercury. Yeah, exactly. And you'd keep the gold. And so that's how, you know, some of the things that were happening. But interesting thing on this song is that is is there's not a good ending in this song. And there's not a whole lot for people trying to go out and try to strike it rich real quick for it. It's basically, now my window, she weeps by my grave. Tears flow free for a man she couldn't save. You know, he was shot down in cold blood by a gun that carried fame, all for a useless and no good worthless claim. Hmm. So, uh, I mean, it, it's an interesting. Here it is. I already did, did this part. You know how Marshall Tucker got their name? I thought it was somebody's name. Nobody's name in the band. Oh, by the way, which one's Marshall Tucker? (laughs) (laughs) Was it Marshall Amps? (laughs) No, it was named after a blind guy that tuned pianos where they were were at. So they just kind of liked the name, and they just went ahead and stuck with it. Hmm. And the interesting thing about this, it does have a kind of country western feel, but they have a flute is key in their in their. I heard that. And there's another guy named Jethro Tull. Yep. No, he's not. Ian Anderson. (laughs) That has a flute, but I think they kind of copied them. But yeah, Mm. that was something different. Nice pick. Yeah, that's good. That's solid. So now we're moving on to our instrumental or comedy, and the it's this is kind of an instrumental although there's some vocals in it but the vocals kind of repeat themselves over and over surely you just <laughs> so this was the height of disco here and so yeah this was way up on the charts wasn't it fly robin fly by the silver convention i wonder how long it took him to write those lyrics <laughs> i was looking for instrumental track from december of 75 and this was one of the top ones that came up and i thought i didn't know that was a, don't know that i would say that was an instrumental but i clicked on the video and these three women and they're just singing and they're just dancing the whole time. Well, Rob, I, I, I must say I really in, am uh, enjoying looking at your platform shoes you're wearing today. <laughs> those, well, those were for Gene Simmons. Oh, we usually oh. kind of catch up on things we didn't get to. Uh, back on entertainment, we talked about Saturday Night Live. They actually started using time delay for, for Saturday Night Live. And Let's guess see. who was hosting? George Carlin. 
close. Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> that makes sense. Okay, we got to we got to integrate uh, a little bit of a delay here. <laughs> also in December '75, One Day at a Time premiered, and John Denver had a rock, Rocky Mountain Christmas. Um, and you couldn't go anywhere in the mid '70s without hitting something with he was John Denver. He was big, wasn't yeah. he? There was a couple of movies out, but really, the only one I remember was The Hindenburg. Oh, uh, that came out in 75. Yeah, was man, this, yeah. this was kind of during those disaster movies. Yeah, times. disaster, exactly. Poseidon Adventure, disaster Airport, movies. 77. Earthquake. Yeah. Burt Reynolds was in a movie called Hustle. I don't remember that. Um, there was Charles Bronson and his wife, Jill Ireland, was in Breakheart Pass. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember that one. The Man Who Would Be King um, was Sean Connery and Michael Caine. Yeah, I was. I guess I was nine at this time. Yeah. I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention. I could. I, I could have told you that the uh, Super Friends was on Saturday morning. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's odd because I mean December would have been a big movie time oh, yeah. period time, but we don't. You know, we just don't recall it. Well, in music, the official breakup of the Faces was announced, and Rod Stewart continued his solo career, and Ron Wood went to the Stones. Rolling Stones. And guess who's recruited to join the Eagles? In December of 1975, was Joe, that Joe Walsh? Joe Walsh, oh, okay. that's right. Bassist Steve Harris formed Iron Maiden, and Elvis Presley performed his biggest concert of his career at Pontiac, Michigan, Silverdome. Hmm. And he actually ripped his pants on stage. I guess he was getting a little <laughs> heavy at that time. He had to leave. My mother saw change. him in July of '75, and she said the first thing she told me was, "Yeah, he didn't look as good as he did on the Aloha from Hawaii. He okay. doesn't look overweight." <laughs> Gary Thing, rock bassist of URI Heat, died at age of 27. 27. That's right. And The Who set the world record for the largest indoor concert at the Pontiac Silverdome in Michigan, attended by 78,000 fans. Wow. No one died at that one, though. Yeah. <laughs> Which was broken by Who in 1980? Don't know. The Rolling Stones in the Louisiana Superdome, uh, eighty-one thousand people. Oh wow! Um, and that, and with the, being the Louisiana Superdome, I know how you know that. Because I remember the barbers that I went to the following weekend said, "Do you know how many people they put in the Superdome for those, those guys?" Well, that's been December nineteen seventy-five. We're what the riff. I'm Wayne. I'm Rob. I'm Brian. And I'm Bruce. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to What the Riff. We hope you enjoyed the songs we had on tap today. Please tell your friends about us. Check us out at whattheriff.com and follow us on Facebook. Special thanks to our sponsors, Wright Column Financial, Stanton Electric, and Marbury Creative Group. That's all for this week. See you next week on What the Riff?